All right, joined today, part two in a series of conversations about taking care of your mental health. We say again, good morning to Eric Litweller, the Director of Donor Advising and Communications at Mental Health Association of South Central Kansas. Eric, hello. Hi. Well, good to see you again. Well, long title. You need a big business card for something like that. Ah, you do, yeah. <laughs> um, this, is, this is important. You and I met a few months ago, and uh, we decided we wanted to um, focus on the importance of taking care of our mental health in different everyday situations. Yes. Um, and the first time we chatted, it was about, you know, back to school and the stress that goes along with it, not only for the students, but for the teachers, for the parents, all of it. Hell yeah. Now with Halloween behind us, it seems like overnight the the, the holiday commercials have just <laughs> blasted and, and, and everything's now turning toward, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah and Thanksgiving and all of that. Uh, so we're ratcheting up that stress and anxiety of, of, the expectation of, of hosting, of visiting, interacting with people maybe you only see a few times a year. And that can be really difficult, yeah? It absolutely can. You know, people put so much pressure on themselves and everything has to be perfect. And, oh, they're coming to my house and I have to be the perfect hostess and the house has to be spotless. And, and ultimately, I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of different things today, but I think really the biggest one is just having realistic expectations for yourself. We're, we're human beings. We live in our homes. We're not all, you know, four-star Michelin chefs or whatever the number of stars are. Right. We have to have realistic. And and that's the thing, I think, with, with a lot of this holiday stress discussion. Um, you know, like I said, we're going to talk about a number of things. But at the end of the day, these are all, it seems like they're all easier said than done. Yeah. I can sit here all day and say have realistic expectations. I can sit here all day and say give yourself grace, et cetera, et cetera. But these are all easier said than done. But hopefully, if we're at least thinking about these little these tips, if we're reminding ourselves, maybe we'll realize the right thing at the right moment to just allow ourselves to be okay for a little bit. Expectations are going to be such a it's such a key word to this whole discussion yeah. moving forward. So we're going to get into that now. Do you remember the first time you met your wife's family, and were there any particular uh, moments that stood out that were kind of stressed? <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot before we go any further. Yes, you are. Um, yeah, I think I recall the first time I at least met her parents. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and no, nothing stands out at it being incredibly overly awkward. Everything kind of seemed like it just fell into place. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. don't, you don't have to give me specifics. I'm not looking for you to name names, but I mean, no, no, no. We can agree that it was Wait. it was probably pretty uncomfortable. It, it was it was difficult, you know. Whenever you meet a, a new person or see someone that you haven't seen for a while, you kind of have to reacclimate yourself to, you know, what topics do they enjoy or what topics should we avoid? Maybe is more important even, um, you know, and just kind of a general feel of how do we let them talk and just kind of sit back and if they want our point of view, they'll ask for it. Do we interject? So there's a lot of different uh, different kind of social cues to think about in those situations. Absolutely, certainly. And you know, you're so you're getting together with these people you've you've just first met, or maybe it's relatives you you haven't seen, um, but only a couple times throughout the year. Let's talk about those topics. Yeah. If someone is insistent on interweaving the two big no-nos, right? Po politics and religion. Uh huh. How do you navigate that? How do you can can you can you set a specific boundary, even though they keep on wanting to go there? And if they keep on wanting to go there, what's the next step? How do you handle it? 
You know, and, and a lot of the families that I have had discussions with over the last few years regarding this topic, a lot of it has centered around the host or hostess or and or I should say kind of the the I'll, I'll use the firm, the, the, the term matriarch or patriarch mm-hmm. kind of setting those boundaries. OK, now, not all of the overriding relatives, the mom and dads, the grandparents, they're not always comfortable setting those boundaries. Hey, you know, yes, you're at my house or yes, you are my daughter, but I I don't feel comfortable enforcing those rules with them. That's their prerogative. But I do think there is a little bit of a a kind of a a social requirement that somebody does need to set the boundaries, Mm -hmm. whether it's the hostess or the matriarch. Um, And and if those boundaries are not being adhered to, then I think personally, I what I'll do sometimes is I will just stand up and excuse myself from the room. Mm-hmm. And that might feel very rude, but frankly, getting into a deep potential shouting match about the two big topics mm-hmm. is just as rude, if not more so. So I would rather fake a telephone call and excuse myself to the to the bedroom or the bathroom for 10 minutes rather than end up in a shouting match in the middle of a family that I hardly ever see. You know, first of all, you make you you make me seem validated i feel i feel seen because because i've I've done that in both instances one i have set boundaries people know if they come to my house we're not going to talk about it you know right so come have a good time we're all here different viewpoints focus on having a good time leave that stuff outside secondly i've excused myself uh at family gatherings when it's just gotten and it's gotten heated for for not really you know terribly big reasons whether they're being uber uber competitive around a, a game of cards or something and it's just too much for me and the the, the noise level is just you know you just excuse yourself pro tip yeah. i learned this a long time ago like cocktail parties and stuff if you've got a glass and you've got a you you want to you want to get away from this conversation uh-huh. and when you hide a quarter or a nickel inside between your two fingers and when you go to take a sip you clink the you clink the glass with the coin and you pretend like you chipped your tooth and then you dip out and like nobody's <laughs> So look, I love I've tried it. It actually works. So see, I thought you were going to say just down your drink really quick, and then you have an excuse to go ask for to go get a refill. Well, you could do that too, but me, I'm, I, I go for the I go for the dramatic. So um, I like it. That's nice, David. <laughs> um, you know, one thing I have tried to do over the years when meeting new people um, is try to avoid leading with the question, "What do you do for work?" Because I think yeah. we 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 def- we've gotten in the habit of defining who people are by what they do for work. What are some of the other questions people can lead with to avoid that pitfall of what do you do for work? Yeah. You know, that's actually a really interesting question. I, I, I was asked to do a speaking engagement just a few weeks ago on the topic of um, uh, social capital uh, and, and kind of cultural relativism. And the United States is one of very few countries where that is oftentimes the leading question. Um, and, you know, all it comes about through a, a whole series of the history of, of countries, but in Australia, for instance, they'll often lead with what sport do you play? Mm. That's kind of Australia's thing. Okay. Um, but I think things like, you know, what do you do for fun or, or what kind of hobbies do you enjoy is a really nice one. Okay. Uh, because in, in, invariably uh, you can, you can find some commonality um, or, I, I often go with, are, are you a native Wichita? Are you a native Kansan? Okay. Kind of get people talking about places they might have lived and see, oh, yeah, Pennsylvania. I, I vacationed in Pennsylvania several years ago. I, w- I went here. Um, so, you know, those kinds of topics, I think, are, are great. Um, oftentimes, too, depending on kind of where you are physically, mm-hmm. um, 
maybe you're at a, a party and, and you're not talking to the host. Um, so how do you know this person? How do you know? How do you know our host? Or how are you connected with Sarah? Right. Or those kinds of things as well are really good questions. Now in family, that's harder because everyone knows how you're connected. Sure. Um, sure. But uh, but still, you know, maybe talk about the first time you met, especially if you're like me, the in-law. You know, what was it like the first time you met Jerry? Right. Uh, those kinds of things too are, are fine topics. You know, that's that. Uh it's actually timely that this is all working out this conversation because I'm, I'm in the middle of an audiobook and the, the main character met the parents of his love interest for the first time. And he was, uh-huh. he was going through all this stress of, of, you know, what to say and not to say the wrong thing and all of that. And she had actually given him a list of safe questions. <laughs> and, and, and one of them was, you know, in, in talking to her parents, he would ask, so how did you two meet? Which I think is a great question. Yeah. You know, and and I think that's a good one to leave with. But, but I've been trying. It's a hard habit to break because, like you say, we in this country are pretty focused on. So what do you do for work? Because we add value right. to someone based on what it is they do for work. Um, let's go back to the expectations from the host point of view. Uh, sure. No, I love to host. I love to cook. Um, but there's a lot of stress that goes along with that. Let's deal with the cooking first. I mean, how do you how, how do you give yourself some grace and and. And just understand it's 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 going to be what it's going to be. Yeah. Well, there's a couple tips that, that I, I think are helpful. I've heard from people or gleaned over the years. One of them is if if you know that there are people coming who are just really kind of their their kitchen focused, you know, the meal's always been at my house. I always cook, and yes, we're changing the place, but I'm still I'm still going to be involved in the cooking. If you know there are people who are just going to be kind of kitchen centered, mm-hmm. um, I don't think there's anything wrong with inviting them to join you. Okay. Uh, if the kitchen is big enough and you know that's going to be a thing for them, uh, if if that's not an option, another plan would be kind of uh, maybe ask every, we'll say every household who's going to be uh, participating in the event, ask them all for their favorite recipes. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stuck on a dessert. I, you know, everyone always loves your dessert kind of a way of, of, of building them up a little bit. Everyone loves your dessert. Any chance I could get the recipe and right. try my hand at, see if I can make it right. be a little self-deprecating. I think that's okay. Okay. Um, so that certainly would be one option. Another option would be if, if neither of those are, are possible, I think it's okay to, to send out a, a note to maybe an email to everyone a few days in advance and just say, this is the menu I have planned. Uh, you know, th- this is based on you know, our ability to get ingredients or things I've cooked with before to make sure that I'm not serving you experimental foods right, right. or whatever it is. But here's what I'm preparing. If you have input, please let me know by the end of the day. If you need me to remove uh, gluten from this ingredient or leave the nuts out of that ingredient, or that dish or whatever mm-hmm. it is, please let me know. But this is the direction I'm leaning. Please give me some thoughts. That way, no one can can get there and say, "Oh, well, what about my gluten free niece?" Well, we gave you the opportunity to say something you right. chose not to. So, I think that's another option. You um, just made me realize that a few years ago, uh, my late wife and I invited one of her very good friends, and she was uh, she was having uh, trouble with anything with gluten in it, um, yeah. and she felt so loved that we made an effort. To, sure. to include a majority of things in our menu that were still delicious, but that were gluten-free. Um, yeah. You know, food like that, I've learned over the years, can really, I mean, we know you hear the expression cooking with love and things like that, but can, it can really bridge gaps. I've never been so nervous as I was last Thanksgiving when I had to cook for the first time at my wife's parents' house up in Indiana. I was, oh, I, okay. I was, I was voluntold that I'm going to be the guy. 
And okay. I, I was nervous for so many reasons. So I get all this stress because, A, it's not my kitchen. I don't know where stuff is. I'm oh, sure. cooking for the family. And I'm like, oh, God. And there was one. there's one member of, of my wife's family, her niece, who um, she struggles with some ADHD. And she's, she's, she's pretty, she's pretty uh, unfiltered. Great gal, okay. great gal, and she's found she's found some focus in weightlifting and working out, but she's a bit unfiltered at times. Um, and she told me right out when she found out I was cooking, she said, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat anything you cook. I'm like, okay, okay. So Thanksgiving got a little closer, um, and she says, do you have a recipe for cheesy potatoes? And I didn't, but the internet does. So I looked it up, and not only did it bridge the gap between us and our relationship, because we were still very new as far as our getting acquainted, not only did it bridge that gap between the two of us, but she had three helpings. She ate the rest right. of my food. And then for her birthday, she asked her mom to reach out to me to get the recipe for it. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So I think, you know, those those extra touches you talk about, include including your guests, letting them know what's on the menu, asking them for input. All of those things go a long way to adding to that that overwhelming feeling of your guests feeling at home and cared for. Right. I, I absolutely think so. Yeah, food is a big part of these gatherings, especially Thanksgiving and Christmas. Those are the two big food holidays, so we know that's going to be a factor. And thinking of ways to plan and, and build that into the uh, into the the, the uh, get-togethers is really important. Absolutely. How important is body language um, when it comes to just interacting with friends, family, even complete strangers? Um, can body language really kind of derail certain gatherings? It can, you know, they they say uh, all of these kind of kinesthetic studies that have been done, and and the the, the actual words you say, I've heard, uh, usually are only about six percent of the total communication you're doing. A lot of it's tone and volume and body language, so it it is really important. And it's hard, you know, to have a conversation uh, with thirteen people in your living room all at the same time, especially when there's four different topics of conversation yes. going on at the same time. Yes. Um, you know, I, it, it's, it's hard to know, uh, how to, how to handle those situations because you're always trying to figure out like, well, maybe this is, this is my wife's dad. And so I really need to make sure that I'm paying more attention to him. Mm -hmm. And so you tend to kind of rotate your body and you lean forward a little bit more. Um, maybe you're using a little more hand gestures than you normally would to really demonstrate that you're engaging. But then three other people are in the same room trying to have different conversations with you. And you don't want anyone of your wife's family to feel ignored right. um, and or like, oh, well, he doesn't care about us. He only cares about Jerry. Yep. Um, so that that definitely is difficult. And I think what I've always found really important to do is is always find an opportunity to have the conversations. It's not going to be at the same time. Maybe, you know, over breakfast, you're really making a point of talking to, to person number one. And then maybe while you're cleaning up, uh, you you call person number two and to ask them a question and they kind of hang out and you start talking. And so over the course of the party, over the course of the weekend, whatever it is, finding an opportunity to talk to all of those folks and really use that body language to engage in each one of those conversations in a way that you can't do when there's 22 right. people gathered in the same room. Right, exactly. Um, when it comes to eating, drinking, church, is it okay to say no? Is it okay? And by that, I mean, you know, you might feel obligated to go back for seconds or thirds because, you know, they, you, you think your host worked so hard on the food or 
Uh, everyone else is having a couple couple of extra beers, so you feel like, oh, to fit in, maybe I should too. Or you're not really a church goer, but the family is. They ask you to come to church. Is it okay? Is in those situations, is it okay to say no? It it absolutely is okay. You, you, that uh, setting personal boundaries is one of the biggest tips, and it's it not just relates to this, but but a number of other issues as well. Setting personal boundaries is really important, and I think in that situation. It's important to have tried to do that in advance. So again, I keep going back to meeting a spouse's or significant other's family, and I know that's not the only way this works. But if you're going, if you're going with another person, let's just say you're you're kind of the guest of another person, maybe letting them know in advance. Um, not, I wouldn't say asking for an itinerary per se, sure, but getting some idea of of what things are happening when under the pretense of I need to I need to kind of plan because I have to jump on this call at two o'clock or mm-hmm. I have to run out to you know go check on the on the livestock or whatever it is. Um, so kind of setting boundaries in advance, letting people know uh, what you're comfortable with and what you're not. And I think more and more, although we're still a long ways from where we need to be, I think people understand that when somebody says, no, I don't want another beer, there's no need to ask why that is. Right. A lot of people still will, don't get me wrong, sure. but there, I think more and more people are realizing I don't need to ask why it's none of my business. If he doesn't want another beer, there's a reason for that. Or he doesn't want, like, I don't drink, period. I've never had alcohol in my life. Okay. Um, and there are people in my life who, who struggle with that. Not so much anymore. It's not an issue. Right. Um, sometimes they'll ask, well, you know, do you mind if I have a beer? Knock yourself out. Yep. Help yourself. Yep. Get drunk. I don't care. <laughs> I just choose not to do it myself. Because the great um, the great part is when you're the sober person in the room, you can video everything. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, I do think it's okay to say no. I think it's fine to set boundaries. I think there we, we have to accept going in that if, if we were not able to set those expectations ahead of time, uh, or even if we were able to, there are still going to be people ha- who have issues with that. Um, so don't expect to say no and just be able to escape scot-free. There are going to be p- people who push back. That's the nature of family gatherings. Um, but if you're strong in your convictions, which you have every right to be, uh, it's perfectly okay to say no. Um, it you know it might feel a little uncomfortable, but hopefully. Uh, if you're spending the same holidays with the same people year after year after year, uh, they're going to kind of get used to and understand he's not going to go to church with us on Sunday morning. Right. They might still give you the option every time, but they're not going to push back after a few years when you say no. Yeah, you're you're, uh, you're never having a drop of alcohol. Uh, I grew up, my best friend of 45 plus years uh, is the same as well. Uh, yeah. And uh, and I respect that, you know, and, and it's changed the way I approach uh, let's say friends and neighbors were out cutting the grass and you see your neighbor and you're like, hey, you want a beer? I don't lead with that anymore. I'm like, hey, do you right. drink? Especially if I don't know them. Hey, do you drink? Can I get you, you know, or can I get you a, you know, a water or something like that? And and then they'll leave it up to them to say, hey, do you have any beer or something like that? So, Sure. Absolutely. That's perfect. Um, you know, this is more of an opinion thing, uh, but it still creates stress. It's kind of a two-parter. So uh, is it okay to show up at someone's home empty-handed? We'll deal with that first. Um, yeah, I think it is okay. Um, you know, some of it depends on the type of gathering. It's like, I'll take Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, it, unless they have said, you know, this is a potluck or everyone bring your favorite side or something like that. Right. Um, I know, you know, people will show up with a, with a bottle of wine maybe or something like that. Um, Thanksgiving's not really gift giving holiday, so you can't really bring a gift. Right. 
So I think it's okay to maybe talk to the host in advance and say, is there anything at all that I can bring? Um, you know, maybe you can bring a centerpiece or something. But yeah, if you're if you're struggling, let's say, with some financial situations, mm-hmm. um, just let them know in advance, hey, you know, I'm not really in a position to, to help out with anything this year. Is that okay? Uh, just again, a lot of these keep coming back to asking in advance or talking to people in advance. Um, but that's always a good idea because springing a, a, a surprise on someone, whether good or bad in the, in the moment, is not always uh, well received. But if people kind of have an expectation going in of what you're showing up with or what not or what you're going to do or what you're not, mm-hmm. I think always setting those expectations in advance is a good idea. And the nice thing about the holidays is most people know a few days in advance where you're going and who you're going to see. Right. Now, here's part two, because I'm the type of person who's when I invite people over, no, you don't need to bring anything. Just bring yourself. Just come on over. It's our hospitality. Come enjoy yourself. And they still bring something. Yeah. I get frustrated. Do I just have to let that? Do I just have to let that go? Do I just have to simply ex- accept and be grateful for their generosity and just let it go? I I think you know in those situations, kind of what you say is this is really nice. You really didn't have to bring anything, but I think what we have to realize as people is that they showed up with something because doing so was important to them. Okay, it, it really is not about you. Oh, I'll make it's it about, about. I'll make it about me. we're all really good at making it about us but in that moment it's really not about you it's about them it's 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 what they want and so if if you know if they if they show up and even though you said don't bring anything they show up with two bottles of wine you're gracious about it because you realize that bringing that was important to them got it uh and and so in that moment i think go ahead and celebrate it and showcase it make sure it's served with wine and make sure everybody knows who brought it because that's uh, probably ultimately what they're going for is they want some recognition for that. Otherwise, they would have shown up with nothing like you told them to. See, they want to make it about them. They want me to well, say, hey, <laughs> it's it's such it's, you know, it's gosh, human beings. We're such we're such a, a, a funny, funny, complicated group, aren't we? They are very uh, much so. Yeah. Now let's wrap it up by going in the complete opposite. We've spent so much time talking about groups and family and friends and all that. How do you navigate the holidays alone? Well, yeah, alone holidays can be difficult. We know that from the emergence of things like uh, friend, uh, what, what do they call it? Valentine's Friends. Valentine's. Oh, yeah, Gal- Galentine's thing, you know? Day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Galentine's, that kind of thing. Um, so, I, you know, one of the things that I, I glean, and I, I talk with people a lot about this, about uh, like seasonal depression. Mm. Um, and we talk about kind of front loading, I guess I'm going to say, a, a given time of year. So, if you know that you're going to be alone on the holidays because all your friends are off in different states visiting family there, um, try to build in some friend time in advance. Kind of, kind of uh, find those social opportunities two weeks in advance when there's no uh, holidays going on, so that you've kind of built that uh, you've built that up uh, for yourself. So when the actual holiday hits. You can think back, oh, remember three days ago when Paul and Jim and I got together and mm-hmm. had beers or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it can be difficult uh, emotionally, certainly, and, and uh, that the isolation that people can feel around holidays certainly has a significant impact on mental health. Um, but hopefully if you found some opportunities to get together with folks in advance of the holiday so that they're free to do their family obligations, 
Uh, and if you don't have those, you can at least remember a couple days earlier when you did see your friends and be reminded that you're not alone. And obviously, at the end of the day, there are an awful lot of mental health resources, both locally and nationally, uh, that you can utilize if, regardless of how much social time you had two days before Thanksgiving, the day actually hits and you're alone and that's hard. There are local and national resources to utilize in those moments. And I would argue, um, you know, if you are going to be alone on Thanksgiving or Christmas, volunteer. Volunteer. Sure. A lot of times doing good makes you feel good in those instances. Absolutely. You know, people, places like, uh, oh, uh, you know, soup kitchens and that yep. sort of thing. Uh, they get a lot of volunteers around the holidays. Yep. And and uh, so I, I think it's great to volunteer. There's only so many opportunities. And if a lot of people are doing that around Thanksgiving or Christmas, it may be hard to find. But you know what? Volunteer all year round. Yeah. It's not just for holidays, folks. 100 percent. And I will put yeah. in, I will put in a quick plug for ringing bells for the Salvation Army. I'm getting ready to start that. And I encourage you to do that if you're looking for something to do. Anyway, we've covered a lot, uh, Eric, and I appreciate uh, all of your advice. Uh, I want to look ahead and tease episode three, we'll call it, which will come up early December. We will be in the throes of shopping for Christmas. Yes. We're going to deal with shopping addiction. Fantastic. Uh, so, so that'll be episode three coming up early December. But uh, Eric Litwiller, um, Director of Donor Advising and Communications Mental Health Association of South Central Kansas. Real quickly, website if people want to find out more about everything you do. Yeah, mhasck.org stands for Mental Health Association of South Central Kansas. mhasck.org. Eric, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you. Thanks, JJ.